parents and educators. Frustrated with traditional education? I was. My name is Michelle Person and I am a master educator with over 20 years of experience in the field. Rewoke, Rewriting Our Kids Education podcast is an opportunity for me to share what I have learned with you. Join me each week as we discuss a different aspect of education and find ways to make learning engaging and culturally relevant for our kids. Rewoke is available on all popular podcast platforms. The enemies of a people are those who keep them in ignorance. That quote was from Thomas Sankara. I'm going to be talking about during this episode of Real Reading Talk, episode 15, how the reason why Black people were continuously denied the right to read and to be educated is so that we can continuously be kept in ignorance. Tune in because I'm going to be dropping some gems and make sure that you grab your notebooks, pens, pencils, whatever you choose to write with. All right. Talk to you all in a minute. Real Reading Talk. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Real Reading Talk. I am your most gracious host, Miss Sasha. And with Real Reading Talk, I discuss the real systemic issues that are at the very core, the very foundation, as to why there are low levels of literacy in the Black community and the ways in which we can combat these issues together, y'all. I welcome you. If you are a new listener, you a newbie, I hope that you gain benefit first and foremost. And I hope that... I am able to ignite in you the information that I am giving and even my guests that I have uh, that when they are dropping gems, I hope it ignites in you that desire to want to continue to read and study and make sure that your children are doing the same thing because you best believe that reading is freedom. Reading is linked to liberation. And that's what I'm about here on this podcast. And I thank you all for my Old heads, been rocking with me since day one, my day ones, all right? You know, y'all been with me through my blunders and and blips that I'm going to still continuously uh, make, okay? But that's all right, okay? I, you know, as, look, as we know better, we do better, right? So I'm constantly trying to improve um, my podcast game, and so I'm going to get right on into it. Just like I mentioned in the intro, The quote by Thomas Sankara, all right? The enemies of a people are those who keep them in ignorance. So that's one of the things in which you all have to understand when it comes to the denial of black people not being educated, not being able uh, to learn how to read English. Let's be clear, okay? English, because again, like I've talked about plenty of times and I'm going to keep reiterating It wasn't that black people could not, weren't literate, like they couldn't read or write. They could in their own languages. 
And I've mentioned this before, and this is something that for those, again, if you're a new listener, um, this may be your first time hearing what I'm about to say, or you already knew this anyway. There was about one third of the population of our enslaved Africans who were Muslim, and they were reading and writing in the Arabic language. Okay, when you go to the library, uh, the famous library in Timbuktu, uh, all a vast majority of those manuscripts are written in the Arabic language. Okay, so our people knew how to read and write, and that wasn't the only language that they knew how to read and write anyway, right? So, um, you know, so with that being said, again, when our ancestors were enslaved, that was one of the keys to enslavement, which is to keep them ignorant and to keep them in the mindset of only doing what their masters told them to do. And that quote by Thomas Sankara um, is just, you know, right on point. And in fact, I just Thomas Sankara, for those of you who don't know who he uh, is or, you know, he's got assassinated, unfortunately, in 1987. And he was the president of Burkina Faso, which is a country in Africa, in West Africa. And uh, and the reason why, of course, he got assassinated, I'm quite sure y'all can pretty much guess, but, you know, he spoke out against, hmm, let's see, colonialism, imperialism, all right? He was speaking out against the World Bank, okay? So when you start talking about speaking out against uh, this whatever capitalism or, you know, you got these white folks trying to take control, you know, of the money and they are the ones who determine, you know, what the currency is going to be and, you know, and how the money should be spent and all of that and can care less about the people. All right. Because remember, these white folks, they didn't look at us and they still don't. Remember, they look at us as NHIs. NHIs is no humans involved. OK, so. With that being said, you know the price that you got to pay when you start uh, speaking out against those quote unquote big dogs. All right. And so he was assassinated. But interestingly, one of the people who helped in that assassination was his close friend. Mm -hmm. Close friend. I, I, I'm going to try to pronounce his name. Blaise Compaore. All right. And because after he was assassinated, his friend, okay, and I'm putting air quotes, wound up becoming president and stayed president for 27 years, okay? And Thomas Sankara, he was only 37 years old, y'all, 37. And if you notice, and I was just listening to a, a podcast, um, it's called I Mix What I Like, um, and I was listening to an interview by a brother, a uh, brother being interviewed rather on there, his name is uh, Brother Kalanji. And, um, and I just literally like start getting hip to him. Like, you know, this brother is bad. <laughs> okay. This brother, he got, has a wealth of knowledge, um, down to earth brother. Right. But, um, but basically he had brought up the fact the brother Kalanji, cause he was being interviewed on there and he was just saying how we got to pay attention to how a lot of, you know, our revolutionaries, you know, a lot of them got, you know, killed, you know, at young ages and in particular before they were 40. Do you think about Dr. Martin Luther King Jr.? He was assassinated in 39. Of course, Malcolm X, um, he was assassinated at the age of 39. Uh, so, you know, and the list goes on and on. You know, so I thought that was very interesting. So I just wanted to, you know, drop that gem. And I also, um, you know, I hope that you all, this Black History Month, 
uh, just like I mentioned before um, in the uh, my other episode and where I talked about how you guys have to make sure during this Black History Month that you do not allow folks to, number one, diminish it and not talk about black people uh, who have been doing phenomenal things other than our dear brother who we respect, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. and our dear sister Rosa Parks. And even I'm going to say this, because even with Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. and Rosa Parks, when y'all do study them, let's study them outside of the white social structures eyes. So because I don't I don't want to come off like we shouldn't study them. Right. You know, I, I don't like I don't want to come off like that because, yes, we should, because they were revolutionaries. They did things in their own way. But one of the things we have to understand is that when white people are telling the narrative about what black folks, uh, what our history is and the things that they want us to. Yes. Again, the narrative that white people like to uh, give when it comes to black history when it comes to talking about black people and the things that our ancestors have done, they continuously like to uh, give this narrative that black people were docile, meek. They, uh, they marched, they sang, and that's how change happened. And as we know, that is not how you uh, are going to kill any type of oppression. Okay. All right. You know, you have to meet that oppression with some uh, with some resistance. And a lot of times that resistance looks like fighting. Period. Point blank. And that those are the things in which we have to remember, we have to tell ourselves and as well, we have to educate our children on. When you when we are explaining to our children, hey, look, when you have the, for example, the Nat Turner Rebellion. When Nat Turner rose up and said, damn this, y'all not going to keep just oppressing and torturing and murdering and raping my people in front of me, in front of my my brothers and sisters like that. You're not just going to keep doing this. I am going to take it upon myself to make sure that I gather with folks who are on the same page. And we're going to turn this mother out. And that's the aspect of what we have to make sure we are teaching our children. And we got to do this unapologetically. We have to. And we have an opportunity to do this. And how can we do this? Well, like I mentioned before, in talking about Black History Month and giving some ideas about activities that we all can do and share in when it comes to educating our children and educating ourselves about our history and not just history here in America. We're talking about globally because remember, we're connected to black people in the diaspora everywhere. We have a connection. Just like you have majority of the black folks outside of Africa are in Brazil. They are black brothers and sisters. The only difference is that they speak Spanish or Portuguese. And so we have to understand that we all are linked. And that's, this is the reason why we have to educate and we have to do something um, that I've heard Dr. Greg Carr talk about. We have to remember 
because we have been dismembered. We have been dismembered figuratively and literally. Okay. Our history and our people have been dismembered, have been broken into pieces. And so what do we have to do? Remember it, put them back together again. And this is a prime opportunity to do so. Because I'm just, you know, one thing that I've noticed with with Black History Month, it's like as time goes on and on, I notice, and I'm quite sure y'all notice this too, it has been being diminished over over the years. It's like less and less you hear about it. Or, of course, what gets focused on the athletes, the entertainers. These are this is the information that a lot of our youth in particular are getting when it comes to black history. They're going to make sure they pump up any type of celebrity, you know, somebody who's in the sports, somebody who's a comedian. And, you know, of course, in the black community, you know, we we love our folks who've been putting it down, whether they're in the entertainment space, you know, what I'm saying, or whether they're intellectuals. But in the white social structures eyes, they like to put us in a category to where. You know, all, that's all we can All we can do is sing, dance, and make people laugh. Just be their entertainers. Just be the court gestures. And if we continue to allow that and we don't say anything, we don't push back in any kind of way, that's what's going to happen. And that's what I see happening. And so that's why, again, when I talk about uh, black people in literacy, we have to be intentional to intentional about making sure that we're getting books that talk about our history in a way that, uh, number one, that's truthful, okay? And number two, where we are learning about Black people who resisted as well. Talking about the Stono Rebellion. The Stono Rebellion, if you're not familiar with that, the Stono Rebellion was the largest rebellion that occurred in North America in 1739. Once again, what did our enslaved ancestors do? They rose up and they fought back. And there were plenty of rebellions, y'all. It's just that, again, we're not taught that. They're not going to be in these history books. This is that information that you're going to have to go and dig and search for, even when you're Googling. You know, Google, what I would advise y'all to do, Google Black uh, uh, revolts or, or Google slave rebellions, slave revolts. And then also I would Google, uh, books written by black authors who talk about slave revolts, slave rebellions. So when you're doing that, now you're narrowing that search because one thing we have to understand is, especially too, when it comes to rebellions, even when the white social structure will talk about it, They talk about it in a way where it's like, yeah, you know, you had these, you know, uh, slaves who, you know, they decided to uh, go and, you know, start this rebellion. And, you know, when it failed, you know, they want to make sure they talk about how it failed, you know, and they were they were bent on trying to, uh, you know, fight back and, you know, and all of those things. And it was just a very small amount of them. So they talk about it in a language to make it seem like basically they really had no chance of winning. So, you know, that's why the rebellion failed. And it's like, but see, that's the thing. That's that's what 
they fail to realize. When you have made a decision in your mind that you are going to be free, when you've made a decision in your mind that you're going to stop this ish today, can't nothing stop you. Nothing. Only one can stop us or only one that can allow things to happen is God. And of course, you know, y'all hear me say Allah, right? Which is just the Arabic for one God. That's it. That's the mindset that we have to put in ourselves and our children. And this is why, again, that I am like, you know, really, really uh, an advocate for us making sure that we are constantly reading books about black people, black history, black culture, black experiences. Y'all, we got to have, our kids should know who Marcus Garvey is. They should know about how Malcolm X was raised, how he got his foundation. Malcolm X was raised in a home where his parents were conscious. Mother from Grenada. All right. You know, father, you know, I believe was, uh, I I should remember this. I've been reading about this, (laughs) reading about his history for uh, a, a long time, but it's escaping me in terms of exactly where he was from, you know, his father. But, uh, My point I'm making is that they both were conscious, conscious in the fact of understanding that black people have to do for self. They have to educate themselves. They have to love themselves. They have to support each other. This is what black people should be doing. And this is how Malcolm X was raised. So he got that foundation. His mother was reading to them a lot. And, you know, because in these things are very important. The history is important because, see, when you learn about something and you wonder, like, why something is happening the way that it is, you always have to go back to find out, well, where it started from. And that's why it is so key and so necessary to make sure that we are vigilant about learning about our history, getting those books, putting those images in front of our children and making sure we're reading to them. Because also, too, it's helping them understand when it comes to writing a story, when it comes to listening to a story, you have to know what happened in the beginning. And then, of course, what happens in the middle and then the end sequence, sequential. And that's one of the benefits of reading. And just like I started to talk about the Stono Rebellion, one of the things that I wanted to make mention of as well is that. I'm not quite for sure if you all heard of something called the Negro Act of 1740. Okay, and I literally just saw this when I was looking up some information before I was starting to do the podcast. Now, there was something called the Negro Act in 1740. Okay, and so what it said is that it was passed. Okay, in in South Carolina and it was made. They had made it illegal for our enslaved ancestors to move abroad assemble in groups, raise food, earn money, and learn to write English. And the owner, if they needed to, if our enslaved ancestors rebelled, the owners were allowed to kill them if necessary. This was a law, y'all. This was called the Negro Act of 1740. Look it up. But you can best believe and, and this is something that you all got to understand. And that's why it's very important for you all to talk about 
our history in the context of how white supremacists think. See, white folks, they have constantly always been thinking about that long game. And they pay attention to what it is that we're doing. So that act happened, got into, uh, you know, law after the Stono Rebellion that I just told you all about that occurred in 1739. They were setting in place a law immediately after they saw that big revolt that happened in South Carolina and Stono, the Stono Rebellion. They were like, oh, yeah. Oh, no, no. We, we, gonna, we are about to kill all that. So then that's when they immediately, oh, okay, here's a, here's a law right here. The, the Negro Act of 1740. It's illegal. And first of all, and, and this is something I've been thinking about anyway, I'm like, how are you going to call something a law? A law comes from being just. If you have a law, it's supposed to be rooted in justice. That's how you know this crap is just full of ish. Ain't no way. How you going to call something a law where you sit up there literally oppressing another human being? That right there just just really just irks me when I hear, oh, yes, you know, it was against the law. What are you talking about against the law for a black person to read and write and move abroad and raise food? Are you serious? Really? You going to say that's a law? So that's just. No, it's not just. And that's why it's very important, just like our dear brother uh, Neely Fuller said, and he was the mentor to Dr. Francis Cress Welsing. And he said, if you don't understand racism, white supremacy, and how it operates and how it works, everything else you think you understand is only going to confuse you. You have to be able to teach your children about how this society works so they can move about in a way in which they're empowered, not in a way where they're scared. Because remember, when you know about something, the more knowledge that you have about something, then you can move about in a way where you go, uh, where you understand what it is that you're dealing with. Those things are key. That's very important. So those are the things in which we have to make sure that we are doing for our children. And another aspect also with eight in the 1830s, the 1830s was when the uh, white supremacists, false notion of white supremacists, rather, where they started those laws, those anti-literacy uh, laws, when they were like, Mm-mm. they were like, no, black people will not be reading. One of the reasons why they did that, again, revolting. And that's the thing we have to get in our heads as black people. We're going to have pushback. Best believe. Anytime you're trying to do something good, always remember. Evil is going to up the ante. That's why we can't get tired. That's why we got to do like our our ancestor, Harriet Tubman said, we got to keep going. We got to keep going. Even when we do feel tired, we still got to keep going. This is an ongoing fight. But the ways in which we are able to fight effectively is through reading, through education, through learning as much as we can. And again, like I started to talk about with the 1830s, uh, when they 
had a lot of those uh, laws in which said that black people could not read. And the reason why I wanted to, uh, you know, explain a little more about that is because there was something called the David Walker's appeal. David Walker, he wrote an appeal. He wrote this small pamphlet. And in that pamphlet, he talked about how black people needed to rise up and fight these slave masters. And it was said that Nat Turner had read that pamphlet. And that was something that helped to spark in him to be able to start that revolt. And so, and again, of course, in, in, in Nat Turner, it was already said that, you know, he was, he had learned how to read and he was reading, you know, passages from the Bible. And, you know, and, and that, and that was the, another thing. It's like, here it is, you have our enslaved ancestors telling our, um, you know, the owners rather telling our enslaved ancestors they can't read, but yet and still they're, they quote unquote, they reading from the Bible, a Bible that they distorted, by the way, y'all know y'all can look it up. And I'm, you know, definitely, you know, not trying to disparage anybody who is Christian, but it's, this is something that's a known fact. Okay. That, you know, there were passages from the Bible that was taken out, you know, other passages that were put in. And one of the things that was told to our enslaved ancestors was that number one, that their skin color was a curse. That was because that was one of the arguments to keep our enslaved ancestors enslaved. They said the skin color was a curse. All right. That's the first thing. And it talks about how um, it, there's a verse in there, it, it, you know, where it says, be, be ye the hue of, of wood and drawer of water. All right. You guys, y'all, my folks who are Christian and you know what I'm saying? And even with myself, I can still, I can read the Bible and go and look, you know, for these particular verses that I'm talking about. And this was their reasoning behind enslaving black people. So that's how they were able to continuously get that off because they were like, Hey, look, you're supposed to be our slaves. Okay, you're supposed, we're your master. You're our slaves. You're supposed to obey us and do everything that we tell you to do. But that was the thing that Turner realized. He's like, wait a minute. You know, you telling us to do this, you know, but this is incorrect. This is not what this, this is not what God intended for us to do. God did not intend for us to be your slaves. And this is why, again, they were like, man, we can't have these niggas reading. When they start reading, then they going to, the jig is up. It's over. They're going to really get empowered. They're going to really get inspired. That spark is going to get ignited inside of them. And they're going to be like, hold up. This is why they had in the, like I read to you all, the Negro Act of 1740, where they said uh, uh, our African brothers and sisters could not assemble in groups. They, had, they were, they were on top of it, just like some little devils. Anything they saw that was linked to empowerment, they wanted to destroy it. And that's the thing that we, and, and how do you counteract oppression? How do you counteract ignor ignorance? Through knowledge, through resistance. When somebody is oppressing you, you resist. What does that mean? You push back. You let them know, oh, no, 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 it's not going down. 
We not even we not even popping it like that. That's why I can't stand that rule they'll have in, in, in the schools. They'll say the zero tolerance. They'll sit up there and say zero tolerance in terms of hitting. You know, somebody, if a, if a child gets hit, we do not ever teach them to hit back because that's wrong. I'm like, Erk. wrong. Stop. Side note, sidebar, quick story. I had to tell a white teacher that one time at, at my children's old school. She was literally trying to go off on this kid, letting him know, no, you do not. You don't ever hit back and da-da. I had to correct her. I was like, wait, wait, hold up. I was like, you know, I said, that's not something we should be teaching our kids. You know, it is. We should be teaching our children to, to defend themselves. Now, granted, that does not mean, you know what I'm saying? Granted, that does not mean that, of course, every single time there's an incident where maybe a child got bumped in school or whatever the case may be. Then you tell them, yeah, you make sure you go off, you bust somebody in the face soon as they bump. No, you know, that first of all, that's not even a healthy way of handling any situation. All right. But what we do teach our children is that they stand up to bullies. We cannot, you know, again, because we understand, especially us as grown folks, we know what bullies look like. We deal with them every day in a form of white supremacy. We dealing with that every single day. And it ain't just and I'm not talking about just us seeing uh, our, our, our brothers and sisters getting dogged out by the police or getting ran up on a mere lock. The race soldiers, the devils run up on that man sleeping in the comforts of his home, not knowing what the hell is going on. And you got the race soldiers running up in there. Sitting up there blasting on this man. And of course, and one of the things I appreciate, and I'm so glad to have heard about that, that what happened, what he did, he was trying to reach for his gun to defend itself. And that's what I'm talking about. That is a God-given right to defend yourself, period. And that's why, again, we have to make sure that we are teaching our children about our history. And we have to make sure we are telling the narrative from the, from the uh, standpoint, from those who... Uh, have studied those black people who want to see us empowered because they're going to research and they're going to tell the truth and they're going to go talk to the people who were around during that time and they're going to dig so they can find out what happened so they can give us the correct narratives. Because when we keep getting that narratives from those racists who have an agenda, because remember their agenda is what? Just like I said, Thomas Sankara said, this is what he said. The enemies of a people are those who keep them in ignorance. They want us to be ignorant. They want us to be inundated with uh, what Kanye West and uh, whatever his, uh, I, whatever, what's, what's the lady he not married to no more? Oh, whatever. Kardashian. They want us to be up in the know of her life. Cardi B and all these other folks. That's why they are pumped so heavily in our faces, in our children's faces. It's an agenda. They don't want us to read and study Black History Month. Oh, yeah. They're like, oh, yeah, sure. We could do Black History Month. Um, you know what? Can you guys show us how to do uh, the whip and nene? Can you do that for us? It's Black History Month, right? 
Oh, we want some of that great mm, African-American food. Oh, my goodness. Oh, wow. Who's your favorite sports uh, uh, athlete? Who's your favorite uh, uh, black movie star? Yeah, I like Denzel, too. Oh, and he's a hottie. I mean, this this is what they, they want us to be on. Please, you come in here, start talking about Thomas Sankara, Steve Biko. Uh, you start talking about uh, Fannie Lou Hamer, Ruby Sales. You start talking about Jean-Jacques Dessalines. And then, and then they start the Maroons. You start talking about our history and start talking, or, or, or Mansa Musa, Askia Muhammad. When you start talking about these, they're like, wait a minute. Um, you know, King Hannibal. They're like, hold up. Um, I'm not for sure about them. But, wow. Okay. You know, they do the wow. Okay. Hmm. Interesting. Never heard of them. All right. Wow. Then, then you become this little, it's, it's like, mm, okay. Oh, my God. Then they, then they, they seem to be like, oh, my gosh, I can't wait till February 28th this year. <laughs> they can't wait. They can't wait till February 28th. Boy, they like, good Lord. <laughs> Will it get here even any faster? That's how they be. And y'all know it. And that's why we have to be empowered and we got to stop that ish. Seriously. And we got the capacity to do it. We can do this. So, yeah. So, you know, with all that being said, I think this is a great time to end this episode. All right. Because, you know, I can I can continuously go on and on and then I'll start talking about this, this, that and the third. So I'm going to cut it short right here. All right. So, again, this is a Black History Month check in, y'all. Black History Month check in. How is it going for y'all? I hope that you all, again, are taking the Black History Month knowledge to that next level, doing that service that work that Dr. Carter G. Woodson intended for Black History Month to be on. Right. He didn't create Black History Month for us to be relegated to one little short month of the year to talk about our history. No, it was about talking about what the educators were doing throughout the year. And first they did it. He had it called Negro History Week. It took a week and then he stretched it to a month. But it was about what they were doing throughout the year. So with all that being said. You, again, have been listening to another episode of Real Reading Talk, and I am your most gracious host, Miss Sasha. And this has been episode 15, season two. All right. And you all make sure again that you please keep reading for at least 30 minutes a day. Peace. All right. Thank you all again for tuning in to another episode of Real Reading Talk. That was episode 15. This is season two. And I thank you all for listening. And I hope that you all gained a lot of uh, benefit. And I hope that you all got those jewels, nuggets. You were writing them down, taking those notes. And with all that being said, I'm going to do a couple of housekeeping uh, things that I like to do. So first, I'd like to start off with letting you all know about my tutoring business. I am a, a reading tutor for pre-K through fourth grade students. And if your child is struggling with reading comprehension, with vocabulary words, or if you're trying to get them to even want to read with spelling, 
Uh, These are things in which I help your child be able to improve upon. And always remember with tutoring, I like to uh, let my, my parents know, tutoring is not just your child coming to me and then as soon as they come to me, then they're just gonna magically get better with their reading and writing and spelling. No, this is a three-way thing. And what do I mean by that? This is me, your child, and you all as the parents, period. We are all working together to help your child become successful with their reading. So with that being said, go to abclearntutoring.com. Sign your child up today for their free reading assessment. Also, I'm the founder and executive director of ABC Read. Our mission is to develop and nurture a culture of literacy in Black and underserved communities. One of the ways in which we do that is by getting books that represent Black people, Black culture, Black experiences, Black history. And we flood our communities with these books. New, we focus on getting new or gently used books. And I stress that on purpose because a lot of times you'll see organizations giving out books and they'd be some old dusty books that folks just wanted to get rid of. And I get tired of us always getting somebody's dusty hand-me-downs. Ain't nothing wrong with hand-me-downs. Y'all know what I'm saying when I say that. Don't give us the stuff that you know is like crusty and the pages is like written all on and all that. No, I want our, our folks, I want the children and the adults to be able to have books that are crisp, nice, new. They open, you get a that new page smell of a book, that's what I want in our in our uh, family's hands, period. So with that being said, go to abcread.org, abcread.org, and donate today. Check out what we do, and we appreciate it. I got to give a shout out uh, to Ebony Donnelly once again. She is just such a blessing. You know, she's gifted us with books and with money, and we appreciate her so much. And also, again, subscribe to my YouTube channels, Reading is Freedom and ABC Read, and make sure that you share this episode. And again, I'm going to leave you all with the quote. Well, first, I'm going to tell you all the book that I finished the book, Raising Free People. Yay! Unschooling as Liberation and Healing Work by Akila S. Richards. I finished reading that book, and I'm also and I'm almost done with the Black Bourgeoisie book by E. Franklin Frazier, y'all. I'm on my book game, y'all. It's on, baby. (laughs) All right. And let me end with the quote. The quote, Thomas Sankara. I'm keeping them. Say the quote again. The enemies of a people are those who keep them in ignorance. Period. All right. You all have been listening to another episode of Real Reading Talk. I am your most gracious host, Miss Sasha. This has been episode 15 of season two. Make sure you keep reading for at least 30 minutes a day. Peace.